You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Uh, today, I'm uh, going to be sharing a message called Living or Languishing. Living or languishing. I wanted to start a little bit different. I always start with a Bible verse, and I've got plenty of those, don't worry. Uh, But I came across this article from December, uh, and it's from a place I don't normally look, the New York Times uh, of all places. Here's here's an article, and I wanted to read this to you because this is a uh, a non-Christian perspective over something that has plagued people throughout this entire year. And I thought it was interesting the the language that was used. And we're gonna we're gonna go after this tonight. Uh, it says at first, this is the the writer of the article. I didn't realize or recognize the symptoms that we all had in common. Friends mentioned that they were having trouble concentrating. A family member was staying up late to watch National Treasure again, even though she knows the movie by heart. And pray for that person. Um, (laughs) Instead of bouncing out of bed at 6 a.m., I was lying there until 7 playing words with friends. It wasn't burnout. We still had energy. It wasn't depression. We didn't feel hopeless. We just felt somewhat joyless and aimless. It turns out there's a name for that, languishing. Languishing. Isaiah 24.4 says this, The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty or pride, uh, prideful people of the earth languish. I've got three points for you today. We're going to start with the first one, languishing no more. Languishing no more. This, this word is used to describe a condition that, uh, as the writer of this article was, was painting this picture, that there's kind of this aimless fo- focuslessness and, and just kind of just existing that a lot of people find themselves in. In fact, they des- the heading of the article, why this was interesting to me, is they described that as the dominant emotion of 2021. And I think as we go into this new year, we want to see where, you know, maybe people are burnt out or they're depressed or discouraged, but maybe they're dealing with languishing. And we want to see everybody overcome this as we move forward. I want to read you the definition of this word uh, that's used in this verse uh, right here. It means to droop. It means to mourn, to be weak, to be feeble. And it uh, you know, the Hebrew language was made up of uh, word pictures originally, and these word pictures conveyed ideas, and the word picture used here is of a, a, a water brook or of a river that has been reduced to a trickle. It was once a rushing river, but now is reduced to a trickle. What used to be abundant or have strength in it was now stagnant and reduced to next to nothing. And so that's the picture that happens when you and I are in a place of languishing, spiritually, emotionally, uh, relationally, that we are not moving forward, as we've talked about for the better part of this month and a half. As we've looked at, we went through a series called Unhealthy to look at getting healthy in every area of our life, moving forward in every area of our life. And tonight, as we look at this idea of languishing, I believe, you know, John 10.10, Jesus said this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have of life. In fact, can we, can we put that on the screen? John 10, 10. I want you to see this. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So if I'm living in less than what Jesus said he came to give me, then I need to deal with what is keeping me back from that. So, so I want 
everything that Jesus promised to give me. How about you? I want everything that God has provided for me in Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross, of course, to pay the price for my sins so that I could be forgiven, redeemed, made right with God, given a future and a hope. But God has purposed so much in our lives. And, and you know, he, he didn't just, Jesus didn't just come to save us from our sins so that we could have a religious experience. <laughs> he came for us to have life. And he came to have, give us abundant life. He didn't want us reduced to a trickle, a stagnant water that was not flowing freely to impact the world around us. The church that is empty of joy, of hope, of promise, of, of walking out like, you know, listen, the greatest witness to the world isn't just our sermons that we preach. It's not just the Bible verses we can quote. It's having a full and abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Because apart from Jesus, I read this verse to you from Isaiah. He says, the earth languishes. The earth without God, the world without God, its condition is that it can't do anything but be aimless, purposeless, hopeless. But with Jesus, with Jesus we find what we were created for. We find what we were born for. We find that we exist for more than just the opinion and applause of people. We find that we exist for more than just collecting a paycheck and just trying to make it one more day. That we exist for more than just clocking in, clocking out, just checking off religious boxes. But he, Jesus came to give us life. And if the alternative is languishing, I'd rather have life. How about you? So, so here's where we're at. Jesus comes to give us abundant life. And he, and he, he paints this picture in Isaiah's uh, description. He says, he says it's the haughty people or prideful people that also languish with the earth. And I think it's, you know, I, I've given you my definition of pride before. Pride, of course, uh, can take the form of somebody who's overly inflated in their ego. Uh, they, they, they're overly boastful or overly self-confident, confident maybe in the wrong thing. But, but real pride at its root is not just a boastfulness, but it's actually an independence from God. It's living in independence from God. It's, it's choosing my own way apart from God. It's saying, God, I'm going to do it my way. And the result of that is what we see right there in that verse, that we languish. Humility is dependence on God. Pride at its root, at its core, what it really is, as the Bible would define it, as, as life experience would show us, is that pride at its root is living a life independent of God, and the result is always languishing, purposelessness. I believe the more connected we are to Jesus, the more we find life. The more connected we are to the world at the expense of being connected to Jesus, the more we languish. Colossians 3, verse 1, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. He says that's where, where, where Jesus is. Right now, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the moment where he's coming back. But right now, as he is at the right hand of God, you and I are to do something with that reality. It's not just meant to be theology we hold on to. In fact, I, I love this. If you read, especially the Apostle Paul's writings in the New Testament, you see this 
great big sweeping picture of theology, of the description of the majesty and the glory of God and what Jesus has paid for and provided for us. But it always results in a, an effect upon our everyday life. It's not just theology. It's not just believing right information about God, but it actually does something for us. And so here's what he says. He said, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. So I, I had a pastor years ago, and he's well-meaning, and I understand where he was coming from. He, he had said that, you know, let's not be so heavenly-minded, we're no earthly good. And what he, what he meant by that is, you know, don't be so preoccupied with, I don't know, whatever, eternal things that you don't pay your light bill. I don't know. <laughs> but I think it's also true that we can be so preoccupied with earthly things that we're no heavenly good either that we lose our peace, we lose our joy because we haven't set our eyes on eternity. In fact, I think the key to, to experiencing the fullness of life is not getting preoccupied. We don't ignore things we're responsible for, but we live from a place of having our focus and our attention on Jesus first and foremost. Set your eyes on Jesus. Here's what he says, verse two. Set your mind on things above. It's an actual, uh, intentional, purposeful uh, choice that you make every day. He says, set your mind on things above. It, it's, it's natural to drift your attention away from what matters. But that's, that's why we need to intentionally make a choice to set our mind on things above. There's no shortage of things in the world to drag your attention down. To get you to, listen, I don't need the devil to get discouraged. I just need to, you know, <laughs> try to figure my own life out on my own. I just need to turn on the news for like five minutes. Come on, I, I think some of us did a good job fasting food, but maybe we should just fast the news for 21 days too. Set your mind on things above. Now, the Christian life is not pretending like there's not problems. We're not ignoring, no, no. But we have to first set our mind on things above. Dealing with the relationship issues, set your mind on things above. Struggling in your own life to overcome a particular habit or particular issue, set your mind on things above. Dealing with fear, dealing with shame, dealing with anxiety, dealing whatever it is, the answer is the same. Why? Because here's what he says. If you were raised with Christ, you have a new life in Jesus. And he says, so set your mind on things above, not on things just on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. <coughs> so he's, he's making the point that we need to intentionally set our eyes on things above, and the, the, the result of that is we say no to some things that would cause us to settle. So, so the Bible gives you this picture that we're to soar, mount up on wings like eagles. You know, the reason why people hunt turkeys is because they're stuck on the ground and they taste good. But that's not who you are, church. If, if you stay on the ground like a turkey, you're target for the enemy. But if you soar like an eagle with Jesus... If you soar, set your eyes on things above, 
I want to give you two pictures from the Old Testament. Judges chapter 6 gives a, a story of a man named Gideon. Judges chapter 6, Gideon is a young man, and he's reaping or dealing with the results of other people's decision to depart from God. His father's generation has worshipped Baal and turned away from God and exchanged the worship of God for for lesser idols, and, and as a result, they've be, been overtaken by the Midianites, their enemies. And every time they would come to harvest season, the enemy would show up to steal their harvest. The enemy would come and take away everything that was rightfully theirs. The enemy would come and steal what belonged to them, and as a result, they tried to hide what little they were able to keep. And that, to me, is the definition of languishing. It's just trying to make it one more day. It's just trying to hang on one more day, but not living in the fullness of what Jesus has provided for us. Galatians, or Judges, excuse me, Judges chapter 6, verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was by Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Just like all of Israel, Gideon is hiding, just trying to hang on to something, just trying to make it. And the angel of the Lord appears to him, and here's what he says. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I don't know about you, but if I'm evaluating Gideon's behavior, he doesn't look like he's behaving like a man of valor. He's hiding because of fear. But the angel of the Lord declaring what God says, listen, we need to know what God says about us, not just what people say about us, not what the life has defined us by, not what our past has defined us by, not what the enemy has defined us by, not even by what our friends and family have defined us by, but what God has said about us. I got to be careful. I'm going to preach Sunday sermon. Uh, he says this when God, Gideon's response to the angel of the Lord is this Well, if God's with us, how come all this bad stuff happened? I, I know nobody in here has ever asked that before. You know, if, if God's got a purpose for my life, how come this happened and that happened? Listen, don't ever evaluate what God has planned based on what didn't work. Based on the opposition you walked, you faced, or the challenge you walked through. In fact, like I've told you before, sometimes the battle just itself, the presence of the enemy, prophesies the potential of what God's going to do. You're not with me, church. Sometimes the enemy's got an unholy hunch that that God's going to do something, and so he's fighting with everything he's got to stop you. Isn't it interesting that God chose Abraham, the promised land, and you don't see any giants there? He says, one day your, your descendants are going to come back and inherit the promised land. They do. They come back 400 years later. God brings them, and all of a sudden the giants are there. You know, I've learned that if I want to find my promised land, I just start looking for where there's giants. <laughs> okay. He says, if God's with us, how come this stuff happened? Why didn't this work out? Why didn't that work out? Where are all the miracles, he says, that we heard about? 
Now the Lord's forsaken us and delivered us in the hand of the Midianites. Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. I, I, I don't know if the angel of the Lord's seeing what I'm seeing because I'm not seeing much might or valor or confidence or faith, but God sees what we don't see. God looks at Gideon and says, go in this might of yours. You will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. He says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. See, when we are stuck in a place of languishing, this is how we approach life. I can't. I'm not enough. The enemy's too great. The problem's too big. Let me give you the list of what disqualifies me. Let me give you the list of, of why I'm just trying to make it. And every one of these the Lord's responding with the truth. You're a mighty man of valor. Here's what I see. Here's what I say. See, if you let your own feelings define you, you'll set your mind on things below instead of above, and you'll never get out of languishing. Judges 16, Judges 16, verse 16, says this, this is a, another judge, another leader of Israel who also, this guy, you know, if Gideon knew languishing, this guy like started the master class in languishing. And this guy's name is Samson. Samson's known for being strong and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great things, to fight great battles, to overcome the enemies of Israel. Here, it wasn't the Midianites, it was another ite, the Philistines. It was another group, another tribe, another nation that was keeping Israel oppressed and, and destroying and stealing and killing and robbing and keeping them from living the life that God had purposed. It says in verse 16, it came to pass. So, so, so here's, I'll give you the quick snapshot of Samson's story. Samson has overcome every enemy he's fought. Every single one of them. He's overcome every enemy he's had to fight. But then here he comes to this place where he's overcome by a woman named Delilah. And Delilah's name means weakening or languishing <laughs> to make feeble. Delilah represents how the enemy weaponizes languishing, weaponizes it to cause us to see. See, Samson had strength from God. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the reason he was empowered and if you know Samson's story, you know about his long hair and how he had long hair and Delilah's going to trick him and find out what's the secret of his strength and it's his long hair. But it really isn't about his hair. See, the, the, reason why it was a, the reason why when his hair was cut, he lost his strength is not because there was something mystical or special about his hair. It was because his hair not being cut was a part of his consecration to God. See, the strength of Samson's life was not in his hair, it was in his consecration. And the enemy goes after us. See, see Gideon is discouraged. That's what's keeping him in languishing. But Samson is going to be tempted and into compromise. And the reason he's going to languish is because of the temptation of sin that would undermine his integrity and try to destroy his life. Sin always promises what it can't deliver. And so he finds Delilah is lulling him into temptation and into compromise. It came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all that was in his heart. 
She keeps asking him, what's your secret? What's your secret? What's your, the, the source of your strength? And here, finally, he, he says that no razors ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite. That's his vow to God, his consecration to God. I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. He says, if I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. So when Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines and said, come up, for he has told me all that's in his heart. The lords of the Philistines came up, brought the money that was in their hand, and she lulled him to sleep. The purpose of languishing and how the enemy uses it to keep us trapped is to lull us to spiritual sleep is to lull us to a condition or a state where we're no longer fighting, we're no longer standing, we're no longer pressing forward, we're no longer growing, we're just settling, we're just existing, we're just, we're staying stagnant. There's a little trickle, there's a little bit. We're, we're content with less, but Jesus promised more. Come on, church, are you awake tonight? I know it got warm today, like, right? It warmed up. We went from minus 40 to 19 degrees. Thank you, Jesus. But God wants to wake us. He wants to keep us, break the habit and the cycle of us hitting the spiritual snooze button. Anybody else like that? Like, you, you know, it takes me three alarm clocks to wake up. I've got, I've got one on my tablet. I've got one on my phone. I've got, and I've, I've, I, this has been a problem since I was a teenager. I have to set it across the room because if it's within vicinity of me, I can in my sleep disable it. One time I, I, I had an app, a friend of mine told me to get, and it was an app where you literally had to do math problems to turn off the alarm on your phone. <laughs> and I realized I didn't want to start the day like that. She lulled him to sleep on her knees, called for a man, and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. She began to torment him, and his strength left him, and she said, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke. He says, I will go out as before. See, the problem with compromise is you think you can do, you, 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 you think that you can open that door and it won't cost you. And he says, I'm going to go out like I did before. But this time he couldn't. He used to be able to shake himself free. He used to be able to move forward, but now he couldn't. But he didn't know the Lord had departed from him. Verse 21, then the Philistines took him. This great champion, this great warrior, put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. And they bound him with bronze fetters and made him a grinder in the prison. See, languishing has an end goal. It's to take away your vision. It's to bind you up and bring you to the place just like with Samson where life, he's, he's now, he's gone from a warrior to grinding a mill like an animal. And they put him in their prison and he's pushing a grinding wheel. Bound by his enemy, overcome. And that's what happens when we allow languishing to keep us trapped. Life becomes a grind. Number two, I've got the last two points. We'll go through this quickly. Number two is this. How do we overcome languishing? We, need, we start with putting first things first. We start with putting first things first. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Jesus comes and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's calling people to himself. And, 
and a crowd begins to gather and three groups of people come up to him. The first one comes to him in verse 57 and says, now it happened as he journeyed on the road. The one said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responds to him. You know, most people would say, that's awesome. That's great. Sign up. Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. See, it sounded good to follow Jesus, but to follow Jesus through Galilee and Judea was going to cost. It was going to cost him his security. In other things, in lesser things. And so, so verse 59, another, Jesus actually this time initiates it. He points to another man. He says, follow me. And the man says, yeah, I'll do it, but let me first. Let me first. See, God's a God of firsts. Did, did you notice that in the Bible? The first month of the year was significant. The first fruit of the harvest was offered to the Lord. When we give to God, we bring our tithes to God. It's not just that we give to God. We return to him what's first because first matters. When we start our day in prayer, first hours matter. If you want to start your day, and I get it, I'm, I'm the same way. It's really easy to start by checking emails and checking Instagram and looking up, you know, whatever it is you're preoccupied with and to start your day there instead of starting your day with what really matters. Those first moments, sure, you can pray any time in the day, absolutely, but there's something special about what's first. Because when he's first, when we seek first the kingdom, he says, everything else, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to you first. You're not my last resort. And so this man, he says, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you, but I've got to do something first. <laughs> 61, another said to, the Lord, to, said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first, there's that word again, let me first go and bid farewell to my family. And that's not a bad thing, but if anything that's a good thing becomes first, it will keep you from a God thing. Okay. <laughs> Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom. Now I want you to catch this because we divide our, our, our Bible into chapter and verse. The writers of the Bible didn't do that. The very next verse in chapter 10, verse 1 is connected to what just happened. And it says, after these things, after Jesus has gone through the crowd, and after it's kind of gotten whittled down, honestly, it's gotten whittled down because some people had other priorities and had other things that, that, that were first. And, and it says, after these things, Jesus, the Lord, appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two into his, before his face into every city and every place where he himself was about to go. Jesus goes through the crowd, and after, 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 after it's been whittled down, so to speak, it wasn't like God, God had to whittle it down. They just they kind of took themselves out of what really was important. And, and, and here's what happens. Jesus looks for what's left, but he finds those, and he says, I'm going to send you into every place. See, something happens with surrender. Jesus is never looking for perfection. Can I just help somebody today? You may not feel qualified. You may not feel able. He just needs availability, not ability. 
And, and he gets to the last 70, he gets to this group, and he sends them out into every place that he's about to go. Can I tell you, Jesus is about to set, step into some families. He's about to step into some homes. He's about to step into North Iowa. He's about to do something, and he's sending you and I. But what the only thing that'll keep us from that isn't the power of the enemy. Can I just help somebody? There's no devil in hell that can keep you from your purpose in God. Stop blaming the devil. Let me make it even more relevant. There's no person on this earth that can keep you from the purpose of God. Stop pointing fingers at people. What they've done, what they didn't do, it only keeps you from moving forward if you let it. Okay. Put first things first. Number three, get your fight back. Third and final point. Get your fight back. Can I bring you back to Samson for just a moment? Judges 16 says that he's had his hair shaved. His eyes have been put out. He can no longer see. He's bound and he's grinding at the mill. This is where sin has brought him. But aren't you glad that we serve a God of not just second chances, not just third chances, you, you ever pray those prayers when you first start with Jesus and you're like, God, if you just give me a second chance. None of you, okay, just, just, just me. And then you're like, okay, I think I'm on like seven or eight at this point. That's after 10 minutes. No. But you realize that his mercies are made new every day. And God's a God who restores and redeems. And if there's ever a place where you feel like the Holy Spirit's highlighting something and he's saying, we want to work on this, it's never to shame you or keep. See, condemnation pushes you away. But when you allow the Holy Spirit to deal with things and to go, oh, this is holding me back, it's because he wants you to move forward. I, I, you know, this, this part gets me so excited. Put up verse 22. You may read this and go, it's talking about his hair. If you got somebody next to you, just tell them it's not talking about his hair. I know it says that. Only two of you did that. The hair of his head began to grow again. Do you know what the Bible's telling us? He's about to get his fight back. <laughs> He's been languishing because of Delilah, but he's about to get his fight back. Gideon left that wine press, and he confronted an idol that was in the house of his dad. He took down and tore down an altar that his dad had built to, to an idol called Baal right in the middle of the house. He tore it down because he had to deal with his daddy's devil before he could go deliver a nation. God wants to deliver you at home so he can deliver through you to somebody else. Gideon left that place and saw a nation delivered. Samson comes out of the pit and they chain him to two pillars to mock him and, and laugh at him. And instead of that, here's what happens. Samson prays one last time, says, God, give me, I got some fight. God, God give me one more. 
I, I, I've, I've had some battles against the Philistines, but just give me one more. And he breaks the two columns that are holding up the building. And it says he killed more Philistines that day than in his entire life. I, I don't know, church. There's just some of us that got to get our fight back. We lost our fight in faith. We lost our fight in our prayer life. We, lo- we lost our confidence and trust in who God is. And we're languishing because we've, we've, we've settled for less But I want to challenge you tonight to get your fight back, church, to start praying again where you've been discouraged. To start praying for your household to be all that God has called it to be, to call your your prodigal sons and daughters back home, to stand in faith for a move of God right here in North Iowa. As the team gets ready, I want to read one last passage to you, and this is a passage of somebody who didn't just get their fight back, but they lived emptied. This is the end of Paul's life, or at least towards the end of his life. And the Apostle Paul's writing to his spiritual son. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at the appearing of his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, be ready at a moment's notice to do what God's called you to do. And that's not just for preachers and pastors, although he's writing to his son in the faith who's a pastor. It's for every single one of us. Be ready in season. When you're ready for it, and be ready out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering teaching for the time will come when they not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they'll go to TikTok. <laughs> is a lot of itching ears, heap up for themselves teachers, they'll turn aside to fables, all these things, but here's what he says, but you, be watchful. Keep first things first. Endure afflictions, overcome. Do what you're called to do, do the work of evangelist, share Jesus, fulfill your ministry. And then he points to his own life, and I love this. I want to be able to say this. That's why I've had in my life people that were not just talented and gifted and good at what I wanted to do in my life. I wanted to be around people who've run the course and stayed faithful. Who stayed faithful to their marriage. Who stayed faithful to their ministry and their calling and their churches and all the things that even though they wanted to quit and some of them had setbacks and detours, but they got back. Here's what Paul says, I'm already being poured out. I'm at the end. The time of my departure is at hand, but I've, listened to these three things. I've fought the good fight. Come on, church, get your fight back. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. He says, I'm already being poured out. I want to get to the end of my life and have poured out everything that God put in me. I want to get to heaven and find a bunch of exhausted angels. I don't know if they get tired, but, but I want them to go, good, you're here. You gave us too much to do. <laughs> Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you. Everyone has seasons where they 
feel like they're in a lull. And what you do in those seasons has a lot to do with how long you're there and how you get out. Because there's just some stuff that people can't do for you. And, and there's also some stuff that even God doesn't do for us. He gives us and equips us with what we need, but we've got to walk in it. And if you've been at a place, whether you're like Gideon and you're hi- you've been hiding from what God called you to do, or whether you're like Samson and you've made choices that have cost you, and you feel like it's too late, can I just tell you it's never too late? It's never too late because of Jesus. If you've got breath in your lungs... God, Jesus, he can do anything. He took a Peter who had denied him three times and turned him into an apostle. He took a, a Saul who had persecuted the church and turned him into the biggest builder of the church. What could God do with you? What could he do with me? Let's put first things first. Let's get our fight back. If you're in here and you say, you know what, I've been dealing with some languishing. There's no shame in here. You say, I've been dealing with some languishing in an area and I, I want to get my fight back. I want us to lift our hands to God. And I want us to say, God, right where I'm at, I'm inviting you. I'm setting my eyes on things above. I'm not setting them on fear and shame and failure and what others have done and what others have said and what I've done, but I'm setting them on Jesus, the author and the finisher, the only one who can move my life forward. Father, right now in Jesus' name, I pray for every person in here that's been languishing. You got to declare in Jesus' name, you're not staying there. You're not staying there. You're coming out of that place, out of that pit. And you're moving forward in Jesus' name. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.